Blog Talk Radio. Well, everybody, hello, everybody. Um, uh, it's close to Halloween, so I thought it'd be funny today. Welcome to Butterfly Talk. This is the hmm, supposed to be monthly radio show uh, podcast that focuses on education about epidermal bullosa, understanding, support tips, and general information about EB. My name is Sylvia. I'm your host, and I'm also an EB mom. My son, Nikki, is 19 years old and has a recessive dystrophic form of EB. Today I have no guest per se. I wanted to take the opportunity uh, to bring you more information about EB. I have uh, um, uh, three extensive blogs that I wrote for my EB Info World website that I wanted to go through a little bit um, uh, to have everybody understand more about this condition. Uh, the first blog talks about the genetics of EB. The second about uh, general medical care, and then the third one is about anemia. I hope I have time to do all of these three, but if I don't, I'll save it for the next blo- the next um, podcast. All right, so um, the important thing to understand is that EB is genetic. Uh, there's been a lot of, when I, I go online every day to look for information about EB that I post on EB Info World Facebook page, and um, there are some people out there who um who do criticize and say that it's not genetic. Actually, EB is genetic. Um, I'm not sure why uh, some people out there have a hard time understanding how blistering can be genetic, probably because a lot of the conditions out there that blister are not genetic. Um, Somehow it's easy to understand how Down syndrome, for example, or cystic fibrosis um, could be genetic. Um, uh, and uh, because of that, Down syndrome families, I'm just saying Down syndrome as an example. I'm, I don't want to, you know, uh, put a spotlight on them. And just any other condition like that that is very common, that is like very commonly known, that is genetic, uh, told, you know, that they can cure their condition with food or herbs or they need uh, um, they need fluoride or use allogel or gluten or, or thinking that it's a nutritional deficiency. They understand that Down syndrome, you know, you can cure it with food or an herb, you know. But somehow with EB, um, uh, it, we get this all the time. We get this constantly. I get it myself all the time. So I wanted to just kind of explain a little bit more. I mean, this is not to say that a, a nutritional or good diet, some herbs can't improve it a little bit, but it's not going to cure anything for sure. Um, now, um, there are three major forms uh, of EB. There's three ways a child can be born with EB. Um, there is a recessively, and which means that each parent is a carrier. We all are uh, carriers of genetic conditions. I was just did my 23andMe um, uh, DNA test, and they actually ran a genetic test to find out if I'm a carrier of a bunch of different things, and I'm a carrier of none of them. If RDEB would have been one of their tests that would have shown that I'm a carrier. So that's that's a great thing that they're doing nowadays. Now, 23andMe keeps adding 
to their um, to their things that they test for, and one of the more recent things they added was for junctional EB. So I thought that was interesting. I'm not a carrier of that, obviously, because my my son has recessive dystrophic. Now carriers of a condition like that have a 25% chance of both passing um, their faulty gene to the baby. So um, recessive forms of EB include all forms of junctional and recessive dystrophic. Now, then there's also dominant forms of EB. Dominant forms of EB, it means the parent has the condition. So if a parent has um, a dominant form of EB, which is other simplex or dominant dystrophic, it has a 50-50 chance of passing it to their, to their child. And then, there's, of course, there's, of course, the spontaneous mutation. Um, so... This is a child which is born with a dom dominant genetic mutation. It's never a recessive, uh, despite neither parent having EB. Uh, be when this occurs, it is because the gene spontaneously mutated in either the sperm or the egg before conception. There's no evidence that the parents could have prevented, can prevent such mutation. There are no known environmental, dietary, or behavioral triggers for this type of mutation. Um, to this, I might know, as I wrote in my blog, uh, years ago, a Vietnam veteran uh, contacted me and told me that one of his children and a few of his friend's children were born with simplex EB. So he was wondering if there could be a correlation with Agent Orange or anything that might have been exposed while at war. But no real cause was ever found. They, he never got back to me saying that they you know, actually found something concrete. In an effort to be complete in my description, I must know that there's also an extremely rare form of EB called acquisita, which is not inherited, uh, so it's not genetic, but associated with autoimmunity to type 7 collagen, and onset occurs only in ch adulthood. So a child is not born with this. It's uh, in adulthood, it appears, and it's an autoimmune condition. It's extremely rare. I think... In 20 years of um, meeting and, and uh, talking with EB families around the world, I think I've only encountered it twice. So that's how rare it is, considering how rare EB is anyway. Um, all right, so that's the genetics of EB. Now let's move on to medical care. Um, these are going to be very generic but I think for newer parents, it might be interesting um, to hear some of the stuff that a lot of uh, this, this list was compiled by many EB families that put everything together. So, of course, there's the bathing. Uh, bathing can be a good way to cleanse wounds because you can add different things to the bath water, right? Um, some patients bathe while others shower or do a combination of both. Um, or none at all. It just depends on the patient on what they can handle because there's also a lot of pain involved with this. Um, these are some of the things that people have used in their bathtub uh, to help with infections. One is a vino oatmeal bath. Uh, and I wrote a vino daily moisturizing bath with natural colloidal oatmeal is a natural cleanser and helps with dry itchy skin. This product needs to touch the skin. It will not help if the patient takes a bath with the bandages on, right? So you would need to be naked in the bath. 
Um, I know a lot of patients take a bath with the bandages on. My son did when he was taking baths because it was getting the water to touch the wound was just extremely painful. So perhaps this will work better for those that are maybe not as severe as my son. I mean, something like maybe you know, simplex uh, that probably worked wonderfully. Then there's Domiboro. astringent solution helps dry out oozing, infecting wounds. If you don't want to dry out all of your wounds, you can make a compress only for certain wounds. Uh, of course, there's bleach. Use one capful for a normal size tub, so this is a very small amount. Chlorine, hot tub spas are wonderful also and used often because they are helpful effects of chlorine. Vinegar, um, they, uh, we couldn't come up with a consensus of how much vinegar to add, so please consult a physician to get your ideas, or maybe you can talk to other parents and see what you can come up with. There's also special blends with vinegar combinations. Um, again, I'm not sure of the amount. Um, however, I heard it works wonderfully with infections. So if your child can take a bath, this, this is a great way to go to keep those infections at bay. Now for showering, um, of course, some pa patients cannot shower because maybe too handful to have the water hitting the open sores, and some can't really stand that long um, naked like that. So um, it just depends on the patient. Some things that are helpful when showering are chairs, of course, shower chairs. There are different kinds of shower chairs, some with backs, some without, some are padded, some are not. Uh, they are useful so you don't have to worry about having to stand up on the whole time, All right? They're easy to clean. You can put a soft towel on it for extra padding. Uh, then there's an adjustable shower head, right? Uh, this is a nice thing to have because it allows you to adjust the pressure of the water and how much you want to come out. Um, some even have a setting that mists you, so very, very light. Uh, they can be expensive depending on the one you choose, but well worth it for um, somebody like that. And there's, there's loofahs. Um, this may be easier to use than a bar of soap or constantly squeezing, squeezing out liquid soap on yourself. You can just leather it up and gently wash area or just squeeze soapy water over sores. Now, preparing for a bath and shower. Um, the easiest way uh, is to set out all the bandages, the ointments, everything that you need before using, um, before bathing and before showering, so it's ready when you get out. If you have long hair, it's best to put up to avoid sticking to wounds, right? A shower cap works well if you're not planning to wash your hair. Uh, bathing. If you're bathing, prepare bath with any solutions necessary. You may want to put a soft towel on the bottom of the tub to sit on. Um, a loofah also comes in hand handy, and uh, you can also use it to squeeze the water over sores to rinse. Now, when Nikki was little, just to give somebody an extra tip there, I used to use those inflatable tubs. Uh, those little beady tubs, I don't know how to explain it, but they were very soft. I used to put a towel underneath, and that was perfect size for Nikki when he was little. That worked wonderful for us. Uh, now, removing the bandages. Um, some prefer to remove all the bandages before getting to the tub, while some prefer to soak first to allow the bandages to be removed easier. Um, some also bathe with bandages on and remove them and rebandage one at a time afterwards to avoid any trauma to the skin. 
Uh, blister popping. It's definitely important to cut and drain any blisters, but wait after the shower bath because the blister fills up with water while bathing, and that can make it larger and cause more pain. Uh, soap. Soaps aren't necessary. However, you can use mild, non-dyeing soaps such as Dove. Uh, washing hair. Some prefer to wash their hair separately on a non-bath shower day. Um, especially if you have long, long hair. Um, if the patient is prone to a lot of flakes, a shampoo conditioner such as head and shoulders works wonders. When you're finished, getting in and out, it is important to have handrails or something or someone to grab onto when getting in and out of the tub. Non-slip rugs and mats are important also. Um, for a while, Nikki, when he was smaller, had this chair for that he used in the bath, and that chair lifted up automatically. It was kind of a weird thing. I never saw it before nor since. Uh, but it was nice because it, he didn't need to, you know, try to get in or get out. The chair did all the work for him. So if you can find that somewhere, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so drying off. Uh, remember to pet dry. Not rub, of course. It goes without saying. The bigger and softer the towel, the better. Uh, make sure the towel you're using is free of hair and those little tiny fuzz balls because they can get stuck in the wounds. You can also use a hair dryer or a small electric heater to help dry it off. Um, some use an electric heater to keep warm during bandages as well. Um, with recessive dystrophic EB, some type of surgery or procedure is, inevit is inevitable whether it's tube placement, hand surgery to release fingers, esophageal dilatations, dental surgery, blood draws, transfusions, etc., It can all be scary, especially when most doctors and nurses do not know the specific things you can and cannot do when treating any B patients. Now, the following is a checklist to remember some things to tell the doctors and suggestions on how to do things in an EB-friendly way without causing trauma to the skin. So we've moved past the bath. So now we're talking about... Um, being in the hospital with your EB child and see what helps the doctors and nurses understand EB. Okay, blood pressure and temperature. Let's talk about that. Okay, blood pressure. A child-sized blood pressure cuff may be needed. Uh, this is for any age. Uh, the blood pressure cuff should not be placed directly on the skin Put something soft underneath, such as your sleeve for the clothes or washcloth, a web roll or cast padding. Also, make sure they do not put it on too tight. Now, Nikki, to this point, he hasn't had his blood pressure taken in years because there wasn't a time where he would not blister. So this is just, you know, it just it's one of those trial things. You try it. If it works good, if not, never again kind of thing. Taking the temperature. Some patients take their temperature under the tongue. However, many with RDEB have used tongues, so it must be taken another way. If you do get yours taken under the tongue, I would make sure to not let them place it their mom or themselves to avoid them poking you too hard. So you take it and you put it in yourself or have a parent that knows how gentle to be. Uh, you can also have them use an ear thermometer, but remind them to be very gentle. Sometimes they push down the ear too hard. Uh, you can also get it done under the arm, which is Nikki's favorite way, by the way, uh, with a regular thermometer, although that can tend to rub or stick to the skin. So be really careful when you pull it out. You can't just pull it out. You just kind of, you know, 
get them raise their arm and put it down. Now, as far as blood draw and IV placement, okay, before drawing blood, uh, make sure the person drawing the blood knows that absolutely no adhesive can be used on the skin. So this means no Band-Aid afterward. Also tell them to be very gentle when touching the skin because the skin can literally come off. Don't be afraid to tell them when they're being too tough. Tell them to gently dab the alcohol on the skin. Do not wipe. And Nick even goes to the point of telling them to, to dab it again with the pad so that more, a lot of the alcohol comes off. Um, so it doesn't sting when they poke him. Uh, drawing blood. A tourniquet can be used if a soft material such as your sleeve, a washcloth, or webrel is wrapped around the arm underneath it. Um, oftentimes a family member may be asked to gently squeeze the arm instead of using a tourniquet. Ask for a butterfly needle. If they aren't already using one, it is the smallest they have. Removing the needle. Have them use a small piece of gauze over the site while removing the needle. Then you can apply some pressure with the gauze until any bleeding has stopped. This works great with Niki. He doesn't bleed a whole lot. Put that in, um, you know, maybe a minute later already. It it's doesn't bleed anymore. Now, if you're going to put an IV, uh, before the IV placement, again, make sure they know that absolutely no adhesive can be used on the skin. If possible, ask for a 24-gauge needle. I believe it is the smallest IV they have, but they can't always use that one. Get materials ready to secure the IV once it's in. Tell them to gently dab the alcohol on the skin. Do not wipe. Uh, now, securing the IV. There are different ways to secure an IV without adhesive. It's up to you. First, have them put a small piece of gauze underneath the IV so it doesn't get pushed down onto the skin. I usually bring my own Confirm Wrap uh, and they wrap around semi-tightly and tape the gauze itself to secure it. Remember to tell them tape can be used only if it does not touch the skin. Another thing you can use is coban. It sticks to itself but not the skin and can be used to secure an IV. The IV can still come loose, so avoid too much movement or bending in the arm. Now, I wanted to add something to this. Uh, since I wrote this, we've tried different things with Nikki with the IVs because obviously he goes in often. He used to go in two, two to four times a month to get to his transfusions. He doesn't go as often anymore. But um, we figured out that it's okay to put certain sticky things as long as they're not too sticky. And it, when we take it off, we use either the adhesive remover sprayer or baby oil. But adhesive sprayer works wonders on Nikki. That's just as an extra tip there. All right, so removing the IV, um, gently unwrap or cut away gauze and make sure someone is holding the IV in place so it doesn't jiggle too much and cause a lot of discomfort and pain. Once it's all unwrapped, they can uh, place a piece of gauze over the side and pull out the IV while you apply some pressure with the gauze until any bleeding stops. All right, before surgery. All right, uh, for the anesthesiologist, if at all possible, speak to the anesthesiologist before the surgery to go over the do's and don'ts. Um, since the eyes are very sensitive to begin with, and, and anesthesia can cause them to dry out even, uh, even more, it is important to remember to put a lubricant in the eyes before 
hand and ask him to reapply more a few times during surgery. This doesn't mean you have to do this. Nikias never need this done, but certain patients are very sensitive with their eyes. So usually any gel type of lubricant works. Um, obviously remind them they cannot tape the eyes shut. Um, if they want or need, they can use a damp cloth over the eyes instead or Vaseline gauze. Um, if a blow-by oxygen is used, avoid having it blow across the eyes. Now, the lips. You may also want to put some ointment on the lips. And if they're working in the mouth for dental surgery or dilatation, you may want to remind the doctors to apply more throughout the surgery to avoid blistering. Uh, now, bedding, moving. A move by lifting, not sliding onto, you know, into the bed. Uh, to make the hospital bed and operating table softer, egg crate or sheepskin can be used. Use them as a hammock to lift onto another bed. Uh, Versed, a drug called Versed can be given before surgery to essentially make you forget everything that happens. This works great on Nikki. Uh, he loves it. Uh, this is mostly used for children who are very upset, scared, and anxious about the surgery. And it puts them to sleep. They get really happy, and then they go to sleep. Um, um, I've had this once, and it does, and it did make me forget ever getting put into sleep. However, the effects last after surgery, and most people will wake up and go back to sleep continuously for several hours until it wears off. It also makes it a bit loopy, so you know, be careful. If they're once to sit up, they're gonna they're gonna bang their head somewhere. So be careful. Um, it is a lifesaver uh, for to ease the fears and anxiety. Anti-nausea medication. Medication is usually given to help reduce nausea and the chance of throwing up after surgery, although it may still be common to be nauseous or throw up afterwards. Uh, miscellaneous. Um, instruments, gloves, and face masks. All instruments placed into the mouth should first be generously lubricated with a water-based lubricant. Gloves should be lubricated with Vaseline whenever possible. Face masks should also be lubricated. Um, about the heart monitors, let's probes. If monitors are needed, first cut off the adhesive portion of the EKG leads, the probes, probes, poles, folks, monitors, etc. Um, the monitors can be used, secured using Webrel, Coban, or any other type of gauze intact under the netting. Um, the, the pulse monitor can be clipped into the thumb or the toe, but be careful with that. They, they can be very soft, though. Um, as far as after surgery, let me see, yeah. Um, if precautions were taken, there should be no eye abrasions. Uh, however, it is not too uncommon to wake up uh, from surgery with an eye abrasion. Nikki has never had that, thank God, so knock on wood. Um, you may want to have some eye medication in hand um, and keep the room dark if possible. Uh, Rebandaging, if any bandage was taken after in surgery, you may want to put it back on while they're still sort of asleep and grogging. Cleaning up um, uh, with dental or mouth surgery. There may be dried blood, etc., on the mouth. Washcloth, wet with warm water can be used to gently clean it off. Or it may, may, be, uh, may need to be applied in the lips also to keep to help them up. Um, I'm throwing up, of course. Anti-nausea medicine can be given before surgery, but it's very common 
to still be nauseous and even still throw up. Uh, Nikki throws up every time after any surgery. So uh, not fun, I tell you that. Um, and uh, lastly, um, specific procedures and surgeries. Uh, barium swallow. Um, they should be sure to pad the table with blankets or sheepskin. You can use a straw to drink the barium. They do barium swallows to can see if you need uh, a throat dilatation to see if there's any strictures in the throat. Um, then there's, of course, there's dental surgery. Uh, because RDEB patients generally have a very small mouth opening, dental surgeries can be very, very difficult. Uh, make sure all instruments go into the mouth are generously lubricated. Mouth and lips should be continually lubricated throughout the surgery. If a lot of teeth need to be pulled or worked on, it may be best to do it in stages, so not all at once. All right, so blood transfusions. Uh, blood transfusions are generally a simple procedure, although they can take several hours depending on how much you're receiving. Um, so just follow the instructions of the IV placement and it should be good. And then you have to just take it off at the end. Um, uh, and of course, it's the same goes for the iron transfusion. Uh, Pre-medicating with Benadryl may be important. They will do this at the hospital. Um, reactions to getting an iron infusion could be itching, uh, hives, or swelling. It's not too uncommon. Uh, Nikki just has a little bit of itchy, and that's it. Uh, be sure to tell the doctor if you have any kind of these reactions, because they have different kinds of iron they can give. Uh, they can give them. Um, and then uh, EPO shots can be given the same way anywhere else on the um, thigh or stomach. Um, and then, of course, the EKG. Nikki's going to have an EKG um, in a couple of weeks. Since the sticky monitors cannot be placed directly on the skin, uh, for an EKG, you can have them first cut pieces of gauze, such as conform, and get them wet. Apply them to the areas the monitors will be placed and put the monitors directly into the wet gauze. Make, make sure the sticky paper does not touch the skin. Someone may need to hold each monitor in place. Dry gauze will not work. They need to be damp. All right. So I was also going to go over uh, anemia, but we are kind of run out of time, looks like. So I'll save that for next time. So the next time I will talk about anemia. This is a very big subject. It's a very long blog, so it should be interesting. And also I will try to give everybody little tips on how to help kids cope. Once they grow up, is is different. I mean, I don't have to worry about Nick anymore and how to help him cope. I know what helps him. But for little kids, sometimes it's um, you need to try a lot of different things. And a lot of parents together, this isn't just me, this is a lot of different things. So I'll save that for next time along with the anemia. And that's it. I hope um, somebody learned something today. I hope... Um, Hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank everybody for listening to Butterfly Talk. I don't think this will be a monthly thing anymore. I just every now and again I'll do a blog. I hope to do at least six to nine uh, po uh, podcasts a year. And, of course, I'll have guests again. Uh, no problem. I love having guests. I wanted to remind everyone that the show is also available as a podcast on iTunes, so you may like to subscribe to it, and it will download the new shows automatically. If you like to be a guest, 
or if you have an idea for a future show to share, please send me a message, either on the Facebook page for the show, uh, that is facebook.com slash butterfly talk, or the Block Talk Radio page for the show, or at my email address, which is bbmama at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye.